0: How's everyone? Good, good. 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 How's everyone's Thanksgiving? Awesome. Awesome. Good, good. Um, I know Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays uh, because it's sort of like Christmas with zero anxiety. And I alluded to this earlier that I have a lot of sport, hot sports opinions on the time period between like really Halloween till like mid December Um, because what we like to do as a society is like as soon. As Halloween's over and the shoe drops, we are decorating. Uh, Like, Black Friday deal started two weeks ago, which is completely confusing. Um, And there's this eagerness to just fly by Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is a, is a great time, and just to, to reflect on the year, reflect on what it is uh, to live a life of gratitude. So um, there, there's a big difference in just being uh, thankful for an individual thing or an individual success, whether um, that be uh, a big success or just sim- simply uh, a day going your way. You can be thankful for those things, but the Bible calls us to live a life of gratitude, to live a life that is actually um, oriented to the, understanding that we were we were bought with a price um and that we are not our own and that everything we have is really just us being stewards and uh for me i like thanksgiving um because I feel like it's easier to focus on those things. There's less busyness around the the corporate uh, holiday of Thanksgiving than there is the corporate holiday of Christmas. Now, Christmas is a beautiful thing for for our faith, obviously. We're gonna we're gonna walk through that in the month of December. We're gonna start like I uh, already. Uh, prompted up on uh, December 1st, but it's a beautiful time that we're just going to say we're, we're ready and we're eagerly anticipating the coming of Christ and what it, what it looks like really to wait well. That's what, as believers, that's what we're doing. We're waiting on our Messiah to return, and we're going to walk through the next few weeks how, as believers, we can wait well. So, um, but tonight we are going to close out in Colossians. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians 4. We're going to end Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there may be some around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one. That's our gift to you. Um, before we dive into Colossians, I want to say uh, a special thanks from my family. So, my, this was a hard week for the Roundtree family. Uh, my grandfather unexpectedly passed away on Monday. Um, And we've really been dealing with that for the week. And then I I had the beautiful opportunity of speaking at his funeral yesterday. And the outpouring of love from this church, uh, the countless texts and phone calls and messages, just supporting and saying, hey, thanks. uh, uh, Thanks for all of that. Thanks for... um, just, just understanding uh, the gravity of that situation for me. He was uh, the first pastor in our family. We have like nine now. Uh, I'm the Aww. third generation of of pastor, uh, but he was really the the, the patriarch of, of faith. The patriarch. That was, it. Is that's great. <laughs> well, I'll play back. Um, <laughs> Uh, it really just established our family as we're going to be uh, we're going to be solely focused on the work of the Lord. Literally, like we're we're going to be um, about His business. So uh, it, it was a big blow for our family, but it was made uh, lessened by the support of this church and support of our friends. So from my family uh, to y'all, thank you very much. And uh, and before we dive into Colossians, I don't want us to ever uh, overlook uh, young what I call young church plant victories. Right, so we are at Baby Church plant. We're in our third year of planting. Um, we, have, we have a faithful group that has faithfully committed to study God's Holy Word, and we've done that through uh, multiple series, whether it be Advent or, or books of the Bible. We, we studied the entire book and the Gospel of Mark. We worked through that. It took us about 18 months and a lot of faithfulness and a lot of patience on y'all's part, but we worked through uh, the entire book of Mark, which was a huge undertaking and a huge commitment, but something that we saw too and we finished well. And that is the same for the book of Colossians. As a church, we have committed um, to put a high emphasis on the studying of God's holy word. And we do that by starting with the first word and ending with the last. And we look at everything God pours out. We look at everything that the Spirit can move through. And and tonight, we are closing out in the book of Colossians. And I don't want us to overlook um, that victory as as a young church, as we say, hey, we committed to study uh, a book of the Bible. We studied a a very uh, complex, deep theological book, a writing of Paul, and we did it We did it well. We, we, we did not overlook anything important. We didn't shy away from hard passages. We dove in and we let the, the, the book reign and dwell over us. So, so applaud yourself for that. That's a, we can do not just me. It's awkward if it's just me. Um, but that's a big thing, and I'm thankful for your faithfulness. Last week, uh, Jamin kind of started the closing of this letter and Paul and how Paul is kind of winding it down. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know who, who was here last week. Yo, if you weren't here last week, I'm not here to front you out. It's a small room. I should have thought about that. Um, but Jamin brought it home. Like uh, what I, I would like to refer last week in, in Jamin's message as a moment of surety. There are times when I don't know what I'm doing. That may shock you. Um, for most of you, it doesn't. Uh, that you're thinking, like, "Hey, we are we are grinding, and we are we are putting our, our shoulder to the wheel. We're doing everything I know to be faithful for this church. But but growing a small church, working in a church plant is hard work. And there's moments where you have discouragement. There's moments where you're thinking, "I just I need a sign of clarity or a moment of surety." And last week, for me, sitting in the pew, getting to open up my Bible and hear Jamin profess. The word of God, the way He did, was 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 profound. It was earth shattering. I cried the majority of the time, and when I wasn't, I was taking notes, and I just I wrote down. My first note was just moment of charity, because He talked about how we have to always look for the opportunity of prayer. We have to always. Live a life of prayerfulness. And at the same time, we have to step into space. We have to pray for uh, our desires. We have to pray for our yearnings. And at the same time, when God opens those doors, because we, we know as believers that if we pray to an inherent God, if we pray to the one true God, He will answer our prayers and He will open the doors that He sees fit for His will. But we as believers have to take that step. Doors open and close all the time with believers not there because of a failure to move. And Jamin really just challenged us and said, hey, if you want to be about His business, if you want to be about God's work, then when He opens a door, if you want to grow this church, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to lead your family to the cross, then you have to, as a man, as a woman, as a family, step into those spaces. And for me, honestly, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard, and it was the best sermon I've ever heard you preach, and you were on fire, and I put a really high bar for myself that I didn't notice now. So... We podcast. Go back and listen to it. Um, I can't promise you what tonight is. I'm gonna, what you'd probably determine to be emotionally spent, but we still have work to do. Um, and I'm just really thankful uh, for the work you did last week and how you took the the what would norm, what normal churches would say, "Hey, it's the ending of a letter. We're going to skim through this." Um, and, and you put a lot of love and emphasis on it. And I pray that we can we can do a little of that tonight. Um, But uh, I'll be honest with you. As we stand in in honor uh, of God's holy word, I'm going to read it out loud. Uh, This is a really hard passage, and I don't mean theologically. I mean there are like ten names in this passage that I'm going to have a lot of trouble announcing. So if you you, uh, take it amongst yourselves to read it in front of you, it's going to be behind me. And I pray for grace and forgiveness. All right. Tychicus will tell you all about the activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for every purpose, and that you may know that where we are and may encourage our hearts. <coughs> and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Marcus, the cousin of Barabbas, concerning you, whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is justice, these are the only men of the circumcision of my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12. Ephorus, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf, in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those of Lucidia and in Hierapolis. Luke, he is a beloved physician, greets you and does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Lucidia and of Nympha and the church in her home. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of and see that there, that is also read in uh, in the letter from Lucidia. And say to Artaquipus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. For I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for your inherent word. Thank you for the opportunity we have. Uh, to read it, to 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 pour over it, to study it. God, I pray for the next few minutes. Um, whatever is on our heart and our mind, may it just be solely focused on on your words and your teachings. That we may may understand your writings, we may apply your writings, and we may live out your word. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen. I thought I was joking, right? That was brutal. Thought we got through it, and we don't have to do it again. I'm gonna give them nicknames if I have to go again. Um, But uh, it's one of those things that when you read this letter, you see so much beautiful writing. Paul is a romantic writer. Paul knows how to write things that we call coffee cup verses, things that uh, engrave on our soul and our heart that we memorize. And it's really easy for us towards the end when it gets a little academic or it gets just a literal list of people uh, doing things for us to say, hey, the importance of the letter has ceased. Right, he he hit Jamin hit up some some beautiful things about stepping into space, never ceasing to pray. Those that's the Paul we know. But when it comes to a list. When it comes to something like this that looks mostly just informational, like he's just literally saying, hey, these are my boys, this is my team, this is my ministry people, uh, they may be coming to you, they may not, let us know. Um, it's, it's easy for us to check out, but I promise you this, when when 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is profitable, we mean it, right? Um, and I'm not saying this is something that you're going to go home and memorize, but I am saying this is an inherent word of God, and, and I pray for the next few minutes we can just understand the meaning, because if there's anything I've learned in the study of God, where lists are important. Anytime you have a list of people or you have a list of things or achievements or, or, or activities, it's important and there's something we can take out of it. So let's just dive in. There are 10 names in here um, and, and no name is more important than the other. And that's that's a cultural uh, rarity uh, at this time because the the, the time and, and the place of the first writing of this letter and, and it being read at the Church of Colossae is is a different culture, and a different time than Trinity Church. But there's a lot of application. We've already seen that throughout the letter of Colossae, where we've we've seen Paul write to a church in, in 62 A.D. and and say words that hit us to our core and to 2018 because this is the fluid word of Scripture. This is Scripture that is breathed out by God. So he knows what the church of Colossae needs, but he also knows what the tr- Trinity church needs, and they are one in the same because we are broken sinners trying to lit up God's will. And what he's doing right here, it's a beautiful depiction of saying no one can, can work God's will alone. No one can plant God's church alone. There's nowhere in the Bible where he says you have to be a lone ranger. There's nowhere where he says, hey, it's all about you, you are strong enough by yourself, go and do it. And what Paul is dictating to us right now, and really just showing us, is the truth of that. There is no bigger name in the New Testament aside of Christ than Paul. You can make an argument for Peter. That would be a good discussion. But if anything, Paul's minimum coming in third. In the entire book of the Bible, Paul is is a writer, is is a prophetic believer. He is a theologian of theologians. He is a big deal. I don't know who to... Uh, compare him to in this day and age, but we're a culture who loves the name value, right? If you look at what products we buy, um, uh, we are a world of endorsements. What we like uh, or what we think we like is generally brought to us by an endorsement of someone we already aspire to be or we already like the kind of fame they have. The name value for us is important, and that's not too different than what it it was then, but what Paul is listing us uh, is uh, 10 names, and about five of these uh, names of the 10, you're never going to hear again. Paul is saying, "Hey, these are the people that are that are keeping the ministry going. These are the people who are being the workhorses." Because where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Prison. Thank you. Yeah. So Paul wrote this. This letter and a few others from a Roman prison. So these people, these these are his hands and his feet are, are the ones doing the work. And Paul was a, a humble enough leader to understand. Hey, I'm going to name some of these people for a few reasons. So Tychicus was was his was his trusted assistant. He was really the the carrier of the letters. He's the person that took the letters from Paul's hand and and, and took them to Philemon, to uh, Ephesus to uh, Philippians and and to uh, Colossians. He was the person that Paul trusted, a very sacred uh, trust, to say, hey, here's these letters. These are the letters that are ultimately going to form the theology and the doctrine of the New Testament church, and I need them to get to their receiver. I need these churches. These churches need these letters. And and he trusted Tychicus to take these letters and and to move on. Uh, uh, Onesimus was ultimately a, a redeemed fugitive. Uh, Odysseus was a robber and a slave who ran from his, his owner and in, did, in did doing so would have done what the equivalent for us to be a, a, a multi-felon on the run. But Paul was still using him. He was still redeemed through the conversion to Christianity. And Paul still understood that, yes, his, his, his past was checkered. He had, he had some uh, mess-ups, but they were redeemable mess-ups. And, and he ushered him into part of his ministry team. You see John Mark, uh, was just we just went through the Gospel of Mark. John Mark wrote Mark. Um, Articus was really just in prison with Paul. Uh, Jesus, or Justice, was only mentioned one time uh, in the entire book book of the Bible, and it's right here in this letter. Um, Ephraim is the planner of Colossae. Luke is a doctor. Uh, Demas is a deserter of his faith. He ultimately uh, deserted Paul, but at this point, he was a comforter to Paul. Uh, Nipha was a, a female church plant leader, and she opened up her home for a church plant. And then Articus was really a discouraged pastor. If you work through all those things, I know it just hits you with a lot of information, but all of those people, at the end of the day, to me, you know what they seem? Ordinary. I didn't mention any deep theologian that was reinventing the interpretation of Greek or Hebrew. I didn't name anyone out there that was just killing it and that was uh, reinventing the wheel of, of religion, or was starting a, a mega church, or was super uh, successful in any worldly endeavor. All I named was a group of people um, who had their own baggage, had their own issues. We had refu- uh, we had. Fugitives, we had discouraged church plant pastors, we had a person who's in prison currently, uh, we had Ephraim who planted the church of Colossae but knew Colossae was in so much trouble, he ran back to Paul and said, I need help, I need guidance, I need wisdom. You have a bunch of ordinary men and women who are understanding their, their, their position and their calling, and they are working together for the cause of Christ. Individually, and, that, and this is, counts Paul too. Individually, they are nothing; they are lost. If, if if Paul Paul can write as many letters as he wants, he can fill his jail cell with letters. If Tychesus doesn't take them to the churches, we're not here today. Paul can be a theologian a theologian, but Paul spent a lot of his adult life and his adult ministry behind bars, and if he didn't have a a network of teams, a network of believers, uh, there would not be a New Testament. There were a bunch of men and women who understand that separately they were ordinary, but together they were extraordinary simply because they, they dedicated their life to the cause of Christ. And that's no different than today. There's, I, I can't plant this church by myself. Jamie can't do it. Casey can't do it. None of us apart can do much for church, Trinity Church, but together we can grow God's church. And, and frankly, I think together we've been called to grow God's church. I, I say this all the time, but I, have, I hope it never becomes um, just mundane to say that we are called people. And that sounds uh, overly spiritual sometimes because I think some of you genuinely believe I just show up at 5 p.m., but I'm telling you, you don't. I've seen it in the life of this room. I've seen it in the life of the believers that you may think you're just showing up at 5 p.m. because your parents raised you well and you have church DNA. And when the church doors are open, I need to be somewhere. But I'm telling you, that's not how a sovereign God works. If you think you're here on your own, apart from the Spirit, I have news for you. You are a called person for a called time for a called people. We are your time. We are your people this Is your place. And all I'm saying, and all we are reading at the end of this, and yes, it was really hard names, and I'm not going to go in again. We're about to do a recap of all of Colossians, and we're just going to leave these names where they are. But there is application there. There was a group of believers. Some were discouraged. Some were wealthy. Some were educated. Some were imprisoned. Some were running from the law. They had baggage. They weren't perfect, but they served a perfect king. And through that, they were able to get their stuff together and say, hey, I can help. I don't know much about these people. I can know that if, if, there's, a, if there's a job description out there and it's between writing theologically sound letters and delivering them, I'm the deliverer. Right? Like I can get a letter from point A to point B. I can't write it. And if I did write it, you wouldn't be able to read it. But I can get everyone has their role. And I encourage you tonight to think about that and to reflect on that. What is my role for this church? And I'm not trying to be overly selfish as the church planner of this church, saying like, hey, it's all about this church. But for this moment, give me a sec and say, what is my role in this church? Because I promise you it's not showing up at 5 p.m. I want you to show up. I want to worship with you. I want to study with you. I want to sing with you. I want to do ad with you. I want to do all those great things. But your role inside of Trinity Church is not showing up and being a consumer. Your role for Trinity Church is to get to work and grow God's local church. And that could be numeric growth or that could be spiritual growth. And both are vital. And I'm not putting an overemphasis on either one, really, because I don't want a huge unhealthy church. And at the end of the day, we have to grow to survive, so I want a healthy, growful church. But I want you to reflect in this time of Thanksgiving, in this time of preparing our hearts uh, for Advent, to say, what has God called me to do in my life? What has he called me to do in the life of my family? And what has he called me to do in the life of my church family? Because he's already proven there, there is no unimportant role. There is no person too small to make an, uh, an effectful uh, impact for the cause of Christ. There is no person out there that's unusable or too broken. We serve a, a, a God of, of, of epic power. We serve a God of... of complete sovereign reign that he can use any person for anything. So um, I'm, I'm never uh, amazed at the faith. I've never stopped being amazed at the faithfulness of this church. I kind of alluded to it uh, with the Espinoza's, but when I first showed up at at Trinity Church, um, which was Trinity Parish, I remember thinking, uh, and I, I had no clue how to plan a church. I had no clue what it was. I came from a very established, a very normal uh, church in the way of ministries and growth and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I knew God was calling me here, and that's all I knew. So I said yes to that call and thought, I'm going to say yes. Um, uh, I thought yes was the hard part. Turns out it's not. I said yes to that part, and I showed up and I thought, man, I don't. I don't know if this is going to work. This is like week one or two. I'm like, I don't. I, there's a lot of questions. I'm not sure how uh, the X's and the O's match up, and I don't know if we're meeting our niche and all this stuff. And I'm just, a, I'm a tactician at heart. I'm an X and it's a an nose guy. So if you show me a plan, my first few questions like, are like, is, is it consistent? Is it good? Is it sustainable? Can we pay for it? And that's not always good for ministry. But I'm just telling you how I view things at the very beginning. And it took me about three or four weeks in this room with these people, uh, not literally this room. But just a room with you people to realize we absolutely are doing God's will because of the faithfulness that these people bring. I've always been blown away by your ability to rally, your ability to show up and your ability to do work. Um, So I'm thankful for that. I want to pray that we, we continue to move through that. And, and just, I'm, I'm honored to do work with you. As Paul was, if you read through the end of that letter, he, he really is understanding that this church plant thing is hard. He's trying to encourage the, the church of Colossae, but he's also saying, hey, there's strength in numbers. There's, there's 10 guys at the end of this letter, and all of them need encouragement. All of them are, are struggling for the cause of Christ. But there's nothing that's more uh, growth-oriented uh, or, or, or beautiful for the soul uh, when you realize you have people really just fighting the same battle as you for the same cause. When you say, hey, uh, I realize what you're doing is hard. I realize where you're at seems dire but we have a lot of people rallying we have a lot of people praying for you we have a lot of people in the same spot as you and they only want what's good for you and the will of god all right so quick transition we're going to take in the next five minutes we're going to do a, a recap of colossians because there's a few things i want us to walk away with because um i don't know what holds uh, uh the future or what i don't know what the future holds sorry i said the reverse when i get tired i say things backwards i'll put dyslexia is really not what you want from your lead teaching pastor, but it's what you got. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. That was all academically sound. That was a fact. I say all the say, I don't know um, what the teaching holds in the future. I know I know that we are going to continue to work through the books of the Bible, but I can almost guarantee you as your lead pastor, I won't have the opportunity to reteach you Colossians. I pray 50 years from now somebody's going to, hey, let's do Colossians again. And you're like, okay, let's do it. Um, but as far as me, this is, this is going to probably be our last time to work through the entire book. But there's a few things I want us to, to walk away with. There's a few things that if you got quizzed tomorrow and said, hey, what did you learn from Colossians? You're like, I'm glad you asked. I have these three points that I want you to walk through. I'm talking to you, Barry's going to close them. <laughs> all right. One thing uh, that Paul, Paul starts out with, and it's really where he starts out all of his letters and how we should start out our life, is the preeminence of Christ. The, the fact that Christ is supreme, Christ is all we need, Christ is the, the Son of the one true God, Christ is the human form of God, Christ came and died on the cross for our sins in accordance to the prophecies of a given Messiah. So, um, all throughout the Old Testament, there's a promised Messiah. Christ fulfilled that promise came to earth, lived a perfect life. At the end of his perfect life, he died on the cross. After his death on the cross, he was buried for three days. He rose on the third day, conquering hell and the grave, and now sits at the right hand of our Father, preparing a place for us and his second coming. Thank you. That was an amen moment, right? I just gave the entire (laughs) lineage of our faith in about one minute. I got one amen. This room is killing me tonight. Thank you. So, so Christ is all we need. Christ is ab- above all things. He holds all things together. He is our element of reconciliation. So we are at odds with God before Christ died for our sins. And after his death and resurrection, we were we were made one. We are reconciled uh, with God. So when God looks down on us, he doesn't see our broken sin. He looks at us through the lens of Christ and the blood of Christ, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ pours over us. So when Christ, when God sees us, he sees a forgiveness. He sees a mending. What was lost is now found. What was broken is now mended. Christ brought, bought us peace by his blood. So number one, Christ is supreme. He is all we need. He is the son of God. Number two is we are alive in Christ. We have been been reconciled, so now we have to walk in Him. Uh, Paul does a beautiful depiction uh, of just saying we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive. He nailed our sin to the cross. In Ephesians 2, he talks about us being dead in our trespasses, but God, because of His love, because of His understanding, because of His grace, because of Christ, we are now alive in Christ. And if we take that that, that moment, that, that opportunity to take Christ as our Savior, We are alive in Him. Lastly, um, once we understand that Christ is supreme and that we are alive in Christ through salvation, uh, we have to put on our new self. And putting on our new self is not you living your best life. And there's a big push for self-help, right? Like that's if you went... And if you're on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, you do the discovery section, you know what I'm talking about, where you can just kind of see what's out there. Uh, let's just see uh, what's what, what what is the what is social media trying to get me to do? Ninety percent of it's self help. Ninety percent of it is get stronger, cook better, look better, buy new clothes. Like no one is sinning. No one is like I'm going to start a a blog describing uh, how you should just be content with what you have right now where you're at with your body, where you're at with your clothes, where you're at with your job. There is no podcast for contentment. Um, if there is, you can correct me, but they're trying to, to teach you that there's just a new, new, better version of yourself out there. Every uh, uh, January 1st, we're going to make new commitments, and I'm, I'm pro that. Like I have journals and journals of those. They're actually all the same, which is really depressing. Um, <laughs> but I write them new every year, and that's what's really important. And we, we, we make this push for our new self. Like, we want... We want to put on our new self. But it's important to know what Paul's talking about. He is not saying cut 20 pounds, eat cleaner, go keto. and I'm not, He's not saying that. I, I'm not saying that. I don't know what you need to do, and I don't even know what keto is. Uh, I really don't. I should have looked that up For I, I say so many things before I look it up. Um, what he is saying is that we have to seek the things that are above. So there is a sinful desire in us that will not go away until Christ makes us whole. So there's a new self coming when Christ returns. But until then, we are a broken self progressively getting better through the Spirit. And we're going to have sinful desires to the day we die. There's no amount of reading or praying that's going to make you whole again outside of Christ coming back. But there is a there is a uh, uh, a believing, there is a, a movement inside yourself where you can progressively sanctify yourself. And what that means is Christ has set you apart. When he died for you on the cross, he set you apart from where you were. He You are now saved. You are now atoned for. You are now reconciled. And through that reconciliation there's a continuation. It does stop there. It actually starts there. Once you've been sanctified, now you can progressively move to the image of Christ. Everything we do is to get closer and closer to the image of our Savior. And that means you're going to put on your new self. You're going to put to death what is earthly in you. There is so much that I love to do that is earthly. And there's so many things I wish I didn't enjoy so I could be a better version of myself, looking more and more like Christ. But the the idea of putting on your new self is a two-part system. You are putting on your new self while denying yourself what is earthly in you. So you're saying, I want to be the man God's called me to be. I want to be the woman God's called me to be. I want to be the husband, the wife, the pastor, the salesman, the whatever you do at Blue Cross. Like, whatever I want to do, I want to do for, For I want to be that person for Jesus Christ. I want to be that person for God. But that's not something you're going to make a decision one day and it just changed. That is a constant battle with your soul. You have to deny yourself and follow Him. In Matthew, when, when Christ says, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me daily. He's not making some, some catchphrase. He's telling you how to live life. He's hitting you with the truth. There is prescriptive and there's descriptive. He's not just historically telling you about a talk he had with his disciples. Christ is saying, if you want to call yourself a Christian, you have to deny yourself daily and follow me. And that's what it means to put on your new self. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but it means you're not going to stay where you're at. It means, you know what, I, I realize I'm broken. I realize there's things that are coming at me left and right. At work, we say, are you coming at me south? Who knows what I'm talking about? Nope, just me. All of you are liars. Every one of you knows what I'm talking about. And you're like, it's church. You can't make me. At work, if something happens that you know they're going to get at you, like they, they go for your weakness, they go for that point where you're cracking, that's coming at you south. And that's the only way Satan knows how to work. Satan is never going to come right at you. Satan, at this point, if you're a believer, he may. But for, the, for most believers, Satan's not going to come at you and say, hey, Christ really died on the fifth day. Christ, Christ actually didn't arrive. Uh, Christ rose, but it was two weeks later. There's some, there's some uh, uh, discrepancies here. Uh, this is actually the real gospel. That's not, that's not really how Satan's going to come at you. Satan's going to absolutely let you believe what you want to believe. For his job is to make you think you're inadequate to actually live the life God's called you to live. He doesn't care um, once your salvation is secure, right? Once you are bought and paid for. He knows, he's smart enough to realize he can do nothing to take that salvation from you. But what he can do is try to put doubt in your head so you can't be the person God's called you to be. He's going to come at you and say, this new self is a lie. This new self has the same potential of happening as you losing 50 pounds this year. They're, they're the same thing. There's just a bunch of self-help. There's a bunch of like, hey, let's just be our best life. Let's do all that stuff. Satan's going to come at you and say, hey, you can't be the person God's called you to be because you're too broken. And I, what I want you to walk away from Colossians with is you aren't too broken. That doesn't exist. The idea that you can be too broken is in direct uh, contrast with the gospel of Christ. Yeah. There is no person out there that God can't redeem. There is no person out there that can't put on a new self and die to what is earthly in him. But it is a daily decision that has to happen through work, grind, and war. Amen. All right, so that's it. That was all Colossians. So um, I expect you to regurgitate what I said with the same passion, the same amount of hands at work tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't realize I was a hand talker. And not to end on a, 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 a sad note, not even a sad note, but it, it's a special note for me. So, um, one of the things that my grandfather did a lot when he was preaching is he got really passionate. And he started throwing his hands, and uh, I used to, when I was growing up, I would think like, "I, I like what you're doing, but it's really aggressive." Like, it would, it would almost have, he's like, he he was six seven and like three hundred and fifty pounds, so it had, a, it had a bigger, more intimidating view than me. I'm not saying that I'm that, but. Uh, It was always something uh, that I didn't understand, right? I was like, man, I guess that's just his way of preaching the gospel. He wants you to understand it, and he's going to hit you with, like, shark hands. And uh, (laughs) I remember talking to him uh, one of the last few times I asked for advice. I was joking with him um, because uh, a lot of you have mentioned, and my mom has mentioned, like, I don't know how good of a preacher you are in uh, comparison to your grandfather, but you got the hands down. (laughs) Um, and what it is, it is a desire for what God has put on my heart to be on the hearts of the people I love. And I realize that sounds really sappy and that that can't be conveyed through hand gestures. Uh, but I promise you this, um, I've done a lot of reflecting in the last few days. Uh, and I did, uh, my my grandfather knew y'all well. Because I asked of advice about him all the time. About how how do you lead a church? How do you plant a church? His advice was put Baptist in your name and get a steeple. Um, <laughs> when we were at the Kessler, I was like, oh, how do, how she goes Well, he actually, the last time he asked about y'all, he said, how is Trinity Baptist Church doing? I said, we're doing great. <laughs> you laugh. We're, we are in blue carpet. We are Trinity Baptist Church. Um, I remember asking him, and I was telling him, like, hey, I, I don't, I, I don't think that if I told the average person they wouldn't be proud of me uh, for being a pastor, they would just think less of my congregation for letting me be their pastor. And he said, that's normal, like, that's normal. <laughs> um, that was, it wasn't a joke. Kind <laughs> like where I was at, but... Um, and I remember saying, like, I, I just... I just don't, I don't know if I can ever be the person you were, what I've seen you do. Like that generation of pastoral, that that uh, Billy Graham, like crusader, bigger than life guy. Uh, I don't, if that's the bar, I'm never going to hit it. And, and he hit me with the truth. He said, your job is not to be anyone else to Trinity Church other than the guy who loves them harder than anyone else can love them. Yep. And I won't. I don't know what, what the future holds for my ability to pastor this church or, or any church but I can tell you right now there is not a, a person in ministry that loves this room more than I love y'all and I thanks I, <laughs> that's not your fault we're horrible clapping I mean you can ask Eric he's tried for like two and a half years he probably he's like this, one, this is Mount Kilimanjaro if I can just get this room to worship and clap um Sorry, that's why I cut a little deep. <laughs> um, uh, um, and just know this, that I, I love you and I enjoy uh, uh, teaching and my hand gestures and my snarky remarks are just me trying to convey what God's put on my heart to the people that he's put on me to love. Um, thank you for the opportunity that I have to teach you and it, it really has been the... Uh, uh, the biggest honor of of my adult life to to call myself your pastor. I'm not going anywhere. This is not, it sounds like a farewell speech. It's like Jamin's got half nervous. You're like oh crap, I've heard this before. Um, so what? <laughs> Well, I'm going to stop crying. I'm going to get Eric up here to sing. So let me pray over us. Eric's going to lead us in one more song, and then we can get to going. But uh, God, thank you for today. Thank you for men of God who have bestowed wisdom on us. God, thank you for the opportunity we have just to dive into your word and to learn from it. God, I pray that we never take uh, your word for granted. I pray that we never take this time for granted, and I pray that we never take these people for granted. God, in all things, amen. Amen.